0: For anyone who has witnessed addiction, or perhaps struggled with it themselves, it's a real thing and it's a real struggle. I mean, I personally have witnessed addiction in someone very close to me for years. I saw the ups, I saw the downs, the resolution, the relapses, the devastation. It was emotionally exhausting for both of us. But in addiction is also this hope for redemption. And sometimes, a person can wade through the waters of accountability and find who they were always meant to be. The story I'm about to share with you is a true redemption story. We've heard them before, but it's the intimate truth behind each one that I believe really can resonate with the human soul and teach us something, no matter what our walk in life is. Thanks for being here. I'm Julie Hales, and this is PodSitivity.
1: Before I ever did drugs, I used to be so uncomfortable in my own skin. Like I remember like sitting in class at school and I'd put my hands on my face, what did my shirt look like? Oh my gosh, my pants, and I'd always be like, who's looking at me, like like all the time, like just, it was just so powerful over me. And, and, and I was just worried really about what other people thought about me. But it was so much. And when I did drugs and alcohol, it took all that away. It was my solution. It gave me the, the ability to breathe, you know. And um, now with AA, I, I have that same thing that drugs gave me. I, my solution comes from my higher power and, and the, the program that I work. And helping other people, that's, that's the biggest part. The biggest part, you know, is you have to, you have to give to others, you know, you can't like hold it all to yourself.
0: Orange County is home to some of the United States' most coveted beach homes. Beautiful year-round weather, overpriced real estate, and family vacation hotspots. But just five miles away from the smiles at Disneyland in October of 2010, A dirty, scraggly man sat collapsed on a curb, face buried in his hands. It was his son's birthday. He was turning 18 and under normal circumstances, it may have been a happy occasion, but these weren't normal circumstances. Or maybe they were for Bernie actually, as hard as it was for him to think about. Just the day before, Bernie had stepped out of the Orange County Jail. A free man after more than a year the longest jail sentence he had served thus far. Long enough to earn him the right to put a star tattoo on his elbow if he wanted, a sign that he had served a full county year, or a bullet, as they apparently say. Maybe the freedom of stepping out into the crisp coastal air, truly at his own leisure for the first time in a long time, should have felt liberating or made him excited to go home and see his family. But the truth was, he didn't have a home. All he had were the clothes on his back, the exact same ragged clothes he had come to jail in a year earlier, still had washed and wrinkled from being balled up all these months. He just had the clothes and a bag with some paperwork and a few basic belongings. That was it. No family, no friends to pick him up from downtown Santa Ana. It was just him, the city traffic, and the six stars in the sky that you were able to see through the downtown city light pollution. Some community volunteers standing outside the courthouse greeted him, waiting to assist former prisoners with nowhere to go, people like Bernie. They let him borrow a phone, and Bernie began making phone calls to family members, asking if they could come pick him up or let him stay the night at their place. But with each call, the answers were the same.
1: It was like, Bernie, I'm, I'm glad you're not in jail. Don't really have a place for you, click. One after another after another.
0: Finally, he was able to get a hold of a girl he used to do drugs with in the past, she lived with her grandparents, but she agreed that if Bernie took a bus to the house, she would let him sleep there for the night. So Bernie showed his jail release papers to a bus driver and rode free of charge to his friend's grandparents' house.
1: So I went down there and I had to uh, sneak into her window and I was able to stay the night. And then that next morning I had to sneak out the window and come knock on the door like I was coming to visit.
0: It was best not to surprise the grandparents with a sleeping stranger in the house.
1: She introduced me to her, her uh, grandma that she lived with. I asked, for, oh, hi, nice to meet you, you know, and then I asked for, like, I could use the restroom. While I was in the restroom, I could hear them yelling at each other. And the grandma was yelling at um, my friend at the time who let me stay there. Um, who is this homeless bum you brought in my house? He stinks. Get him the F out of my house. So when I walked out of the bathroom, I walked out to that. And the, the girl that was there, she was like, um, you know, I'm sorry, Bernie, but you got to go.
0: So he picked up his bag of meager belongings and stepped outside.
1: When I left her house, I had no direction on which way to walk. Left, right, I had nowhere to go, really.
0: But he was able to get his old cell phone working. So he dialed up the person who, in particular, was on his mind. His son, on his 18th birthday.
1: You know, I had to tell him, hey, you know, you know, it's your 18th birthday and I, I got you this really cool lighter but I got into some trouble and when you go to jail they throw away your lighters you don't get that in your stuff you know but it was cool and I'm sorry and I'm not gonna be able to make it out to see you and he was like yeah whatever Dad." And he hung up on me
0: bernie had been in and out of jail multiple times before done drugs sold drugs did what he needed to do to get money for more drugs and his son just didn't have the confidence that things were going to change still while his son's reaction wasn't unexpected It was a blow. Bernie stood there, in a neighborhood that wasn't his, surrounded by unfamiliar passers-by who didn't give him a second thought. But the painful part was, no one was a phone call away to pick him up, to even give him a couch to crash on. Every bridge was burned to ashes, except, He knew there were people who would welcome him with open arms, people from his past in drugs and alcohol. But reaching out to them would mean reaching back into that life of addiction and crime, the life that had driven his family, even his own son, away from him, or driven him away from them. So he stood there at a crossroads, cell phone in his hands. If he made a call to someone back in that life, But no, that had only gotten him here, which was nowhere. He had to find another way to move forward from this life that he had lived for two decades. It all started when he was young. As a child, Bernie had always had a sensitive heart. But with that sensitivity came incredible anxiety about what others thought of him, making him feel like he had to do whatever people around him wanted him to do in order to be accepted, like what they liked or say what they said.
1: I didn't realize it at the time, um, but as a kid, I always felt like a victim. I always felt insecure. I was always worried about what other people thought about me to the point where it was almost paralyzing.
0: But being the people pleaser that he was, he had a lot of friends, and he lived in a good neighborhood in Riverside County, which is a little further inland from Orange County and LA.
1: It was a, a nice neighborhood. We lived in a five bedroom house. We actually had a yard and um, pretty, it was actually a pretty good community.
0: And all the kids in the neighborhood would play tag on BMX bikes, riding them around town and throwing this rolled up newspaper at each other.
1: Like 15 different guys on bicycles, just mobbing all over Corona.
0: And when I say they rode these bikes all around town, I mean all around town. Just about any part of the city was apparently in play, including corporate building staircases, elevators, and rooftops. But there was one thing they avoided. There was this rusty bread truck with a poorly painted bookmobile logo on the side, which was home to a disheveled, bearded man covered in filth, the local homeless man.
1: We basically thought really bad about this guy. We were like, oh, that guy's dirty. Oh, stay away from him. He's uh, uh. So we got all kind of like were creeped out by this guy, right?
0: Kind of ironic, given that a few decades later, Bernie would call a broken-in car his home for a stretch. But the most painful part of Bernie's childhood was the relationship he describes with his father, a verbally and physically abusive man not inclined to show love easily, who had his own struggles to deal with. And from an early age, Bernie began to really resent him.
1: We felt that he didn't love me, and I blamed that man for everything wrong in the world. I did not see that my behavior made him react the way he did. Now being an adult and a father myself, I see his point of view which was very painful, but as a kid, and in that dilemma, I found drugs and alcohol. Drugs and alcohol gave me the ability to just not give up what people thought and felt. It gave me the ability to be okay with myself, and to be honest, it actually worked for a long, long time.
0: By the time he was 12 or 13, he was smoking pot, and by the time he was 15, he had tried methamphetamines, and things got kind of crazy from there. For instance, when he was 15 in the late 1980s, he and two of his buddies stole a station wagon in order to haul a bunch of stolen stereos and stuff they had ripped off cars that were being stored at a local impound. So they loaded up the station wagon and they lay low for the night, and then the next morning they hopped back in the car to go pawn what they had picked up. So on this morning, they're heading toward the pawn shop in this stolen station wagon. Bernie's friend was driving, another friend was in the back seat, and then Bernie was in the front passenger seat. And remember, he's 15 years old. Well, the karma gods were active that morning because when Bernie's group stopped at a stoplight, they suddenly heard honking and yelling coming from the car on their left.
1: And we're like, what the heck? We roll the window down and go, that's our car,
0: you stole our car. Bernie and his friends suddenly found themselves face to face with the rightful owners of the very car they were driving. And that wasn't the only relevant vehicle at the intersection.
1: Just so happened that there is a cop kitty corner on the street right there. And my friend who was driving freaked out and just hit the gas.
0: And the chase was on. With the cops on their tail and Bernie's panicked friend at the wheel, Bernie ducked down under the glove compartment and then he braced himself as they tore down the streets of Corona, ignoring stoplights, dodging cars, anything that got in their way as they drove. But after somehow managing to slip through the traffic as long as they had, they flew into a busy intersection and smashed into an El Camino and sadly injured the leg of a teenager inside that car. Although, thankfully, everyone did survive.
1: This is a horrible story. This is a, are the stories of my life. This is a horrible story, right?
0: As for Bernie, the impact of the crash actually projected him out from under the glove compartment, and then he forcefully bounced off the passenger seat and then smashed through the front windshield, rolled off the hood, hit the pavement, and then ran like some stunt guy on a movie set.
1: It was like all points bulletin, so I was like jumping over fence, jumping back over the fence I just jumped in and hiding in the bush for half an hour. And the cops were just circling and just circling.
0: Eventually, Bernie ended up hiding in an empty home that his friend's family had just moved out of. And this was a house where they had just had a kegger party the week before.
1: I got to that house. I knew it was empty. I went upstairs. I look in the mirror. I look like the elephant, man. My face was swollen to the point where I couldn't even recognize myself. And I, I must have had a concussion because I passed out. I, when I woke up to the cops, hey, wake up. And they, they found me. What had happened, how they found out where I was, they had recognized me because I had been getting in and out of trouble, you know, majority of my life.
0: The cops had recognized him before he was out of sight and before his face swelled up like a balloon and two black eyes set in. But at first, they didn't know where he was hiding. So the police headed straight to his parents' house in hopes of tracking him down.
1: And it happened to be the same day that my sister came home from the hospital with my niece, which is her youngest daughter. So my grandma's there, my grandpa's there, new infant, infant, welcome home, you know what I mean? All this stuff's going on, barbecue going on at my mom's house. I'm not even living there, and the house gets surrounded by police. Guns over the fence. I put my whole family down on their stomachs while they searched the house looking for me.
0: Bernie's family didn't know where Bernie was. He wasn't even living there at the time, but eventually his sister, who I'm sure was stoked to introduce her one day old to the police under these circumstances, suggested that maybe Bernie was hiding at this empty kegger party house. And sure enough, he was.
1: The messed up thing about that is from that moment at 15, I put a big stamp imprint on what the whole family thought about me moving forward. Yeah, because they all had that experience and they talked to their cousins, aunts, sisters, friends, grandmas, people in Oklahoma and Michigan, all over the frickin' United States know what type of a piece of crap I am because of that moment.
0: When the cops found Bernie and the other two boys, they took them down to the police station to interrogate them and then they wanted to find out who had actually been driving that stolen station wagon.
1: They're like, hey, your your friends had already told us that you were driving. We know that you were driving. Just tell us that you were driving. I'm like, no, what are you talking about? Well, who was driving? I'm like, I don't even know those guys. I was walking down the street and they gave me a ride. You know what I mean? And we're all going round and round and round and round and round. Finally, they have us dress out of our clothes, and the guy that was driving, Danny, he had a big steering wheel imprint on his chest, so they kind of knew who was driving at that moment.
0: From there, instead of going to jail or juvie, 15-year-old Bernie was enrolled in a behavioral health facility for teenagers who had drug and alcohol issues. And it was one that he didn't really find particularly effective. He ended up there, in fact, multiple times throughout his teenage years until his insurance pretty much kicked him out each time. And for the next couple decades, aside from a few clean years spent in Michigan and a few moments here or there, addiction to drugs and alcohol pretty much governed Bernie's life.
1: I crossed some sort of invisible line where after you cross that line, there's no going back. And then once I crossed that line, it did not matter what consequences I faced when I drank, whether I was going to lose my job, lose a relationship, lose the respect of a family member, lose where I live. None of that mattered. I I could not not get loaded, you know, and the, the consequences just didn't matter anymore. And no matter how much I fought on my own, like I would argue with myself on the way to go get more, you know, don't do it, don't do it. This is stupid. You know what's going to happen, but I do it anyway.
0: And living a life of addiction is no easy path in many different ways.
1: When it comes to when you're a drug addict, the things that you will do and the money you come up with to stay loaded is absolutely insane. The work involved to stay loaded consistently for, you know, for periods of time is absolutely insane how much effort it takes. I had all sorts of different hustles, different jobs that I would do to stay loaded. And if I were to take that same energy just at regular life, I'd be a billionaire.
0: One hustle he kept close to the vest was actually stealing palm trees specifically sago palm trees, which were apparently worth a lot of money 15 or 20 years ago. So Bernie would drive up to these brand new housing areas in Southern California communities where sago palms were still in pots ready to be planted. And then he would pay a few bucks to some guys to help him secretly load those palm trees into the back of his pickup truck. And then Bernie would drive to a local nursery.
1: And I'd go up to the guy at the uh, nursery and I'd say, hey, can you help me out here? And he'd be like, what do you mean? I'm like, I just got a divorce with my wife. She got the house. She got everything. I spent all this money on landscaping. I bought these damn trees. She's not going to get them. Just make me an offer, and they're yours. And I'd get about 100 to 150 bucks a piece. They're probably worth about five to six hundred bucks a piece.
0: And Bernie did this over and over again.
1: Well, I would probably be making a trip to a nursery on average once a week.
0: And he'd always use the same story, but a different nursery because apparently there's a never-ending supply of nurseries in Southern California. And I gotta pause for a second here because there's something so permanent feeling about this hustle. I mean, we're all familiar with like punks robbing parked cars or poaching Amazon packages from our porches. And all of these crimes are horrible and frankly make me really mad. But stealing living trees? I mean, these things live like a hundred years wherever they're planted. And Palm trees are a staple of Southern California living, and they're all over the place. I don't know. Whenever I look at Southern California palm trees now, I'm going to wonder if they ever crossed Bernie's path, but I digress. Okay, back to our story. So life continued like this for Bernie, and he was a smart guy who could make money in creative ways, so he did, all along the way damaging relationships with his family Losing jobs and then finding new ones, hopping from location to location, losing sight of who he really was, all at the beckoning call of addiction.
1: It's a really sad disease because it, it not only destroys that person, but it destroys all the people that care about that person. And most of us don't make
2: it. up before I go. Spot me on a shot. I need a little something for the road. He left behind the only life you know. Just
0: to try to stay alive. so let's go back to the day that we started on after Bernie was kicked out of his drug friend's grandparents house and hung up on by his son on his 18th birthday dejected and overwhelmed Bernie aimlessly walked down the sidewalk in a hopeless trance. He put one foot in front of the other, processing his circumstances and mulling over the daunting responsibilities handed to him by the courts on condition of his release, the thousands of dollars in fines that he owed, his probation, the 18-month course he would have to complete, and the four-and-a-half-year prison sentence hanging over his head if he didn't comply. Not jail this time. Prison. How is he ever going to keep going if he didn't have an honest job, let alone a place to sleep or even take a shower? Where could he start? And most painfully, whether he deserved it or not, there simply wasn't a soul out there he could think of who cared to help at all.
1: They say that resentment is the number one offender that kills alcoholics. It's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die.
0: Hours passed as Bernie aimlessly walked the streets his depressed trance fogging out any existence of passers-by. He was a criminal, an addict, and everything started to crash down around him. Finally, not long after the sun had gone down, he collapsed onto a curb in deep despair.
1: I was at such a spiritual bottom where my, my kids were done with me, my family was done with me, I didn't see how I was going to make it. The fact that I was on probation and I was facing four years, six months in jail, that was over my head, or I had to do all the stuff the court said. And I did not see that being possible. I don't see how I'm going to pass drug tests, or how I'm going to show up on time somewhere and be accountable because I'm not that person. I, I'm not.
0: He sat on the curb in front of the 76 gas station at the corner of Raymond and Commonwealth, tears streaming down his face. He was done. God just had to come and take him if he cared even enough to do that.
1: I was ready to die in that moment. You know, I, like I, at that moment, if I had the means to at the time, I may have killed myself because I was in that much hopelessness. And I was having that argument with God like, 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 I, I, there's no way I can do this. I'm done. I'm done. Just, just take me now or show me something.
0: This went on for at least a half hour arguing with the God he had been raised to believe in.
1: I wasn't saying the nicest things. It was probably a half hour of screaming, crying, yelling, basically challenging God. You know, how could you even exist? You know, and if you do, just take me because I'm done. You know, and if if, if you're all powerful, then, then show me how powerful you are because I am done. Like and, and I did not see any hope in that moment. I didn't see the next step forward in my life. I just saw a wall uh, 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 that I could not get out of. It was just a hole that was getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And I knew prison was coming. I I knew it was coming. There was no way that I would be able to do what was required of me to complete what was asked me by the courts. there was no way I was going to go to prison. And that scared the death out of me.
0: Who knows how long these restless thoughts would have continued if Bernie hadn't suddenly been interrupted by someone he did not want to see a police officer. This unexpected officer just appeared beside him and in a military voice asked Bernie who he was and what he was doing, and then told him to get into the back seat of his cop car. Not having the will to disobey, Bernie picked up his bag of things and did as he was told, assuming he'd probably end up in jail again. But I mean, honestly, what did it matter at this point? So there he sat in the back of this moving police car in silence for about five minutes, until the cop finally pulled over and walked around to open his door and let him out of the car without a word. Too emotionally exhausted to pay heed to his confusion, Bernie climbed out into the night onto some random street, dragging his small bag of belongings. Then the police officer simply got back in his car and drove away. Hey, what's with the cop? He heard a voice say from a few feet away. Bernie turned around to see a group of people standing around and smoking cigarettes.
1: They're like, oh my gosh, like, what's going on with you? What's going on with a cop? Like, like, what's your, what's your story? I'm like, just like, oh, my life's over. I have nowhere to go. I'm like, just like complaining and whining.
0: Bernie broke down in front of this group of strangers, word vomiting, despair and desperation.
1: That's where someone said, you ever went to a detox? I didn't know what detox was, you know.
0: Someone placed a cell phone in Bernie's hand, which was already ringing to a detox center. Bernie spoke to the people on the other end of the phone and arranged to go to detox the next day. And he did. After sleeping in a car he broke into.
1: I've been sober ever since. But the coincidence, is like, and I hear this in A all the time, is that people will have that, that moment where they're like, I'm done, take me or show me something. You know, I, I give up, you know? And at that point, something happens and a path opens up.
2: I've experienced the madness know just how you feel. I've traveled down the road to help, but my wounds, they all have healed. Now I will walk with you through fire, but the journey starts today. And if you wanna keep it, kid, you better give it all away.
0: That's not the end of the story. It was a long road from there, but that was the new beginning. That was the turning point. Just minutes after he sat in despair, pleading to God to do something, anything. It turns out that the group of people smoking cigarettes outside in the dark of night just happened to be an addiction recovery group from Alcoholics Anonymous, and they were taking a smoke break in the middle of a meeting that was happening at a nearby church. The group saw Bernie be dropped off by the police, and then they welcomed him with open arms because many of them had been Bernie before. They understood what it meant to be in the depths of despair, feeling like they were at the point of no return. They had the tools needed to get his feet back on the ground because they had used them, right down to an instant phone number for a detox center that would help start the process. There honestly may have been no better people to help him that day than those people smoking cigarettes in the dark on that random street in Fullerton, California. For the first time in a long time, Bernie felt a glimmer of hope that life might take a turn for him. Or that for the first time, he was truly willing to make that turn for himself.
2: I will walk with you through fire But the journey starts today. And if you want to keep it, kid, you better give it all away.
0: Bernie wasn't instantly inducted into sainthood, never experiencing another trial or temptation again. On the contrary, he was broken, but still very fragile. And he had to learn how to live with himself again, or maybe... How to live with himself for the first time ever.
1: I was like always worried about the gap in my teeth. I was always over uh, self-conscious. Like, yeah, I used to like stutter and and yeah, I just like I was, but it was all self-conscious. And what's weird is it's actually selfishness. You know what I mean? Like, it's a part of selfishness. Worrying about what other people think about me, thinking that I'm so important that they're just thinking about me, not themselves or that guy. Like I'm that. Like, it's just craziness. Now I see that. But in the moment, I I did not know. I think because selfishness is a big part of uh, my issue, you know, is I'm full of self, you know, not like I'm not going to share my toys with you. It's like selfish, like um, how is that going to affect me? What am I going to get out of the situation? What you know, what do those people think about me? Uh, You know, it's just me, 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 that kind of selfishness.
0: When you talk to him now, he credits Alcoholics Anonymous, sponsors, detox, his awesome girlfriend Holly, and God for giving him the accountability, responsibility, strength, forgiveness, and direction needed to make the long trek away from his former life.
1: I couldn't have done it by myself. I couldn't have done it with just a sponsor telling me. I had to see the evidence around me. And I got to see the evidence of it not working when you don't do it. And I got to see the evidence of it working when you do. I had guys in front of me and guys behind me, you know, and then eventually I became that example of the program, you know.
0: But since that U-turn, there have been painful moments and even tragedies that tested Bernie's very resolve. About four years after getting sober, Bernie learned that his only sibling, his older sister, who he had been close to throughout many of his years, even during addiction, had passed away, dying of a heroin overdose in her early 40s. Although she had had her struggles in the past, she was actually in a pretty good place at the time, so it came as a surprise. She had just graduated with her teaching credentials and was about to start teaching special needs kids, but had one moment of weakness, perhaps a celebration of her graduation with the wrong people, and it was enough to take her life.
1: When I got the news that my sister passed away, no, at home, right, And and and, and my dad calls me and says, your sister uh, just passed away, da da And, and I, I freaked out, you know what I mean? I was like, what the, what the hell? And then my sponsor, my original sponsor, had actually gotten drunk and wasn't my sponsor anymore. I have a whole new sponsor that I don't really know, right? And then I called this new sponsor and I'm like, oh my God, my sister just passed away. I'm on the way to go see my dad and my mom and, and face all this, I don't know what to do. I don't even want to go. I don't know what to do. He's like, whoa, 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 Bernie, you need to stop right now. He's like, you ne- there, there's going to be a time and a place for you to grieve, but it's not now. Right now, it's not about you. What you need to do is show up and do everything you can to help. You need to be strong for them, right? You've been, you've been all this other stuff your whole life. In this moment, you need to not grieve. You need to suck it up and be strong and you need to take out the trash. You need to do the dishes. You need to do what they can't do, right? And, and when I went there and did that, like I was able to really help, you know, and Holly, you know, like we, I got all the help get pictures together. We helped set up the whole slideshow. We found the place for the service. I wrote her eulogy, you know what I mean? Like, and all that in that moment. And then when it was over, like I could not have gotten better direction. Like, I thank God for that direction that I was able to finally show up to be there when I was needed by my family and not create more chaos. Not make it about me. Not be I am so upset because it wasn't about me. It's been about me for too long, and and my family was able to see all that, to see that change in me. It's just huge, and it, and it helped with the that gratitude in that moment. Help with the grieving. You know, I was able to to help my family when they needed me in that moment, and it helped like lessen the pain of losing my sister.
0: Since being introduced to this fresh start. Bernie has dedicated his life to helping others. I've
1: been sober for 10 years, and I spend the majority of my life outside of work uh, trying to help other alcoholics. I volunteer at a place called Charlie Street in Costa Mesa. It's a low-bottom, indigent detox. It doesn't cost anything to get in there. Uh, I've been volunteering there for 10 years now, and um, I have the privilege of intaking people um, from all walks of life. People that have crawled out of a bush they've been in for over a year, to people that are, you know, you know very high-end, you know, and dealing with all these different personalities and, and places where they come from, but they all have the same common issue.
0: And by helping others, he's gained a perspective that has helped him heal.
1: I'm able to see me in the beginning and every new alcoholic, and I get to see the, the transition, I get to see God and the program working in other people. Um, There's one story that that really sticks with me. um, There is what's called a mouse. A mouse would be one of the residents that is kind of designated to help us out, the office staff, making sure that people are doing their chores, make sure that people are making their beds, uh, that chores are assigned. Um, There was this one time where this this guy came in. I had a whole bunch of people that I was checking in and this, this older gentleman came in he must have been homeless for years. Uh, he was super, super dirty. Big beard, long hair, nails. Just, just just really, you know, grimy guy. But um, he decided he was a good fit, but he was still pretty drunk. The first thing that they do at Charlie Street after you've been approved to come in is they make sure that you shower. They wash all the clothes that you have on and you have to wear a jumpsuit until your clothes are clean. My main objective there is to keep the place safe and clean for the next alcoholic coming in. But I needed help getting this guy showered. Um, So I called the mouse in. Uh, The mouse was kind of a a big, stocky guy from Boston who had that tough guy kind of attitude. And I said, hey, um, I'm going to need your help with this guy. I need to get him showered. I need to get him, you know, changed and I am gonna need your help with this. And he's like, no, I can't do that. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that. And I told him, I said, well, I really need you to. I have to help this other guy. And if you ever want to stay sober, you're going to have to do things like this to help people that you wouldn't normally do. Mm -hmm. And he was like, yeah, whatever, fine. And he ended up doing it. But he went in there angry, right? Gave this guy a shower. When he came out of that shower with that guy, he had him in a wheelchair because the guy couldn't walk. He was kind of drunk. And uh, he was getting him juice. He went and got him clothes. There was a transformation in that moment from when he helped that guy. And it didn't just go away then. He's from there. He ended up becoming the manager of a sober living right next door. He's up a, a big part of detox, like that was, in my mind, his turning point of whether or not he's going to stay sober or not. And it all had to do with helping another alcoholic. And when he did that, he became one with that guy on a level playing field because we all suffer from the same thing. It didn't matter how dirty he was or where he came from. When you suffer from the same type of illness with somebody, you have a bond with them automatically. You can relate to them like nobody else can. And he was able to see that in that moment, and that catapulted him into his recovery. Me being on the outside, watching that happen, it just was over, like, a, like. it was like seeing God, you know, working in other people. Um, usually when something happens, for me, I don't really see it until way later, but I was able to see it as it was happening, and it was amazing. I know that I didn't make that happen, but I was able to witness it, and that was you know, huge. And and. You know, in, in Alcoholics Anonymous and In My Diseases, you know, I, I look back all the time to kind of keep that willingness and keep that, uh, that momentum to keep me working this program. And it's these breadcrumbs, it's these things that I get to see along the way that really keep me grounded in the program.
0: Now, when Bernie looks back on that night where he sat crumbled on the curb and ready to die, cursing his maker for ignoring him, he sees it in an entirely different light, He now believes that being dropped off in a group full of other Bernies wasn't just a coincidence. What he didn't know at the time was that through all his years of addiction, Bernie's mother had been home praying for her son.
1: The craziest part about this is that in all this, I didn't see it. I didn't see the miracle until six months later. Six months later, I was talking to another person that came in to A about the same time as me. His name was Jeff and I had to speak at a meeting for the very first time, and I did not know what to say. And he told me, he's like, why don't you tell, tell that story about how God helped you? I'm like, what are you talking about? The story you talk about, about the cop picking you up and dropping you off at a meeting. Like, that sh- does not happen, Bernie. Like, like cops, they didn't handcuff you, he dropped you off at an aiming meeting at the right time. Like, that's God, you can't deny it. I was like, oh my gosh. And in that moment when he was telling me what to say in the meeting, I saw it for the first time. It's just so crazy. Like, I can't remember the cop's face. I can't remember his name. Like, my mom thinks it may have been an angel or something like that that came and got me. Sorry. Looking back at that now, I cannot deny that, that God stepped in and, and opened up a path for me. And, and for me, I'm a real big thinker that, that God, God meets us halfway. Like they say, um, faith without works is dead right? That you have to take some sort of action, you know, and then God's going to meet you halfway. You can't just pray, God, 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 give me a job, give me a job and not turn in a resume and go on interviews. You're not going to get the job. It's the same thing with AA. The work you put in helping people, raising your hand in a meeting, all that stuff keeps you on that path with God.
0: His mom had actually been one of the family members who had been unwilling to take him in right after he got out of jail. He called her, She told him that she loved him, but she didn't have a place for him because she knew deep in her heart that if the road for him was made easy, he would never have enough need for change. Now that he's been sober for 10 years, he understands that.
1: I would say that uh, if you have a family member or a friend that is suffering from the same problems that I was, um, to be honest, the best way to help them is to not help them and what I mean by that is is to shut the door until they're willing to help themselves. So many times people are helped to death where they're enabled where you're given a place to stay, you're given money for cigarettes, you're given enough where it's life's just not that bad and then they go down a road into it, there's no coming back. But for me when my mom didn't answer the phone and the, those, all those other options were gone it wasn't until then was I beat down enough to, to finally have that, that experience, you know? I had to be to the point of hopelessness. I like that saying where I have the experience of going to hell and making a U-turn, you know? And I'm still on my way up. Yeah. And there's things like you say, like, you know, if, if you're ready to go to detox, I'll give you a ride. Um, things like that. But it's shutting the door on the ones that we love that are suffering from this problem that helps them and it's so hard to do.
2: I've experienced the madness. I know just how you feel. I've traveled down the road to hell, but my wounds, they all have healed.
0: Bernie has a pretty solid memory. Each time he shared a story with me, he told me the exact cross streets where it occurred, or the names of the exact police officers who were involved, except for one. Bernie struggles to remember much at all about that cop who picked him up and dropped him off in front of the church that night. I can't
1: see his face. That's what freaks me out is I can't remember his face. I can't remember his name. You know what I mean? I don't, even, I don't know what he looked like. And that's, that's kind of freaky, you know what I mean? Because I remember everything else. I sat, he put me in the back of a car and he drove me straight to Wilshire Church, which is probably well, maybe three miles away from there. And the fact that the Wilshire Church has one meeting a week, right? And the fact that it was a the smoke break is only one break during a meeting. How could, how, how... what odds could that ever happen where even if he was trying, as a real cop, like I'm calling him an angel now, but if, if I was trying to get to that, to that place, from there, at that time, and at that exact moment, it would almost be impossible. I don't think I've ever been able to show up at, at a A meaning right during smoke break. You know what I mean? Like
0: uh, to this day, Bernie doesn't know who that police officer was or how they knew to drop him off at that place in time. His mother will tell you that it was an angel, while others will say it was an inspired man doing his duty, and still others would say it was a coincidence. I actually was pretty curious as to who this police officer might have been. So I called the Fullerton Police Department and they were kind enough to look back through their records and see which officer would have been at that place and time. And after looking for a few minutes, they got back on the phone and then they told me that they actually couldn't find any records that matched that date, time and location or any nearby dates and times. So, I mean... Maybe the cop didn't feel like it was necessary to record the interaction, or maybe it was something else. Whatever the case may be, that was the moment that put Bernie on the path to discovering who he really is. I met Bernie about seven years ago when he and I served on this volunteer leadership council in Orange County, and I was so impressed with his sincere desire to help others, No matter what volunteer event that we attended or led, whether it was a charity walk or a beach cleanup or whatever, he and his amazing girlfriend, Holly, were seriously always there, always happy and always serving from beginning to end. I had known a little bit about his past, but I honestly had no idea all the details until I sat down with him and turned on the microphone for this podcast. In fact, remember the homeless guy we mentioned earlier who lived in Bernie's neighborhood when he was a kid? the guy who lived in that rusty bookmobile truck. I had actually approached Bernie to talk about his experience with that guy for this podcast because when Bernie was around 10 years old or so, he and his friends were riding their BMX bikes down the street.
1: And this one time I was racing down the street uh, against a buddy of mine, we were racing our BMX bikes, we were going as fast as we could, and all of a sudden the car turned and was right there. And I ducked to not hit the car and I crashed. And I had that little reflector that's underneath the seat on a bicycle, went right into my thigh.
0: His shoe and the foot and side were torn up. He was bleeding in multiple locations. And the driver of the car never stopped, just kept driving. So there was Bernie, surrounded by a bunch of panicked friends between the ages of 7 and 12, all hovering over him as he lay crying and bleeding all over the ground. And no one knew what to do cell phones weren't a thing back then it was kind of this chaotic mess of a scene with poor little Bernie painfully in the middle of it until a man approached the group and began to speak it was that homeless man the one who lived in that rusty bookmobile
1: he picked me up he's like where do you live and and I gave him directions and he carried me all the way home
0: the man carried Bernie probably about a quarter mile all the way home knocked on his door and then quietly handed him over to his mother, who graciously thanked him, and then went on to take Bernie to the hospital to get stitches and all the treatment he needed for his injuries. The guy didn't even ask for anything,
1: you know what I mean? And I guess um, uh, the story and all that is that I, I kind of like profiled him, uh, kind of, it's like stereotyped him, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter really what you see on the outside; it's all about what's on the inside.
0: Today, after hearing Bernie's. Life story, I kind of picture that homeless man carrying a battered young Bernie, and then the forms kind of change in my mind, and I start to see Bernie doing the carrying, helping bring other people to safety, just as he was carried by that unexpected protector all those years ago.
1: I'm able to see me in the beginning, and every new alcoholic, and I get to see the the transition. I get to see God and the program working in other people.
0: As I've considered all of this, I look at our own lives, and we all come from different walks, right? For me, I mean, I've honestly never done drugs before. I tend to follow the rules, not break the law. I mean, aside from like driving too fast when I was in college. Or I did sass the highway patrol guy who pulled me over in my 20s when I had Christmas lights on my truck window because I thought that was dumb that he pulled me over and I was kind of a butt to him. But the point is, like, I don't condone crime and drug use and all of these things at all. I mean, they make me really sad, frankly, and sometimes quite frustrated. That said, I can't really help people trying to come back from that kind of life like a person like Bernie can. He has the ability to reach hearts that would probably give me maybe a polite nod, but not really take anything I could possibly say to heart. And I mean, what could I really say? So I guess I'm saying that I'm grateful that we have people like Bernie. Not grateful that there are a bunch of hustled palm trees growing all over Southern California, or that this poor teenager's leg was injured in that police chase, or for any of the pain, frankly, that's caused by the careless actions of others. But I guess, I am grateful that there are people like Bernie who have come back from that. Because they're the ones who can really help others do the same.
1: Because God's in charge. Like all the experience that I had in my drinking and using career, all the different hustles and different things, I am now able to turn that all around a good account. When I'm talking to another alcoholic in detox, right? I'm just some guy. I don't know what it's like, right? How we all think our parents know what it's like. And I start telling my stories. And they're like, holy shit, you're just like me. And at that moment, I have their trust, and they're like, well, what did you do? Because you're not like that now. This is what I did. Give me a call at six. I'll get you a book. We'll go through it together,
0: you know? So to anyone out there who has been to hell and back, my hat goes off to you. It's the fact that you came back that makes you an incredible example to me.
2: I will walk with you through fire. But the journey starts today And if you wanna keep it, kid You better give it all away
0: Special thanks to the musical artist Derek McBride for letting me use his song, Through Fire, which so appropriately fits this story. And actually, the way that this song got in here is a story in itself. Just minutes after I had finished writing the narration for this episode, I started streaming some children's music for my toddler, and after a few songs about ABC's animal names and how to brush your teeth and all that, Derek McBride's song "Through Fire came on, which was weird because every song on that stream is normally a kid's song. In fact, I can't think of a time where a non kid song popped on. So I was about to skip the song when I realized it wasn't a kid's song, but then I noticed the words? and how closely they paralleled the story I was literally working on minutes before that was still heavy on my mind. And that seemed like a pretty big coincidence. So then I looked up the artist, found him on Facebook, reached out, and he gave me permission to use the song on this episode. So you can find Derek McBride's music on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music. You can buy the track on Amazon Music. So give him some love if you're touched by this episode. It feels like that track was maybe meant to be in here for someone out there. And in case you're wondering, the whole point of this podcast is really to shine a spotlight on the good out there in the world, because I feel like the opposite is getting a lot of attention these days. And I think we can all use a little bit more hope. So, I mean, if you want to help spread the word, please tell a friend. If I get a solid number of listeners by the time I reach episode 10, I'll keep going. And of course, you can find Positivity on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, YouTube, where we actually have some pictures to go along with the audio track if you want to see what people look like. And if you sign up for our Patreon, which helps us pay for music rights, you'll get the episodes a couple days early. And you'll also get a lot of gratitude from me. This is Positivity. Thanks for listening. I'm Jolie Hales. And always remember, you're worth more than you know.